Well, I have one goal today. In my message, I want to spend this next 30 or 40 minutes to accomplish one purpose. I want every person to leave here today glorying in the cross of Jesus. That's my, that's my purpose. And in Galatians chapter 6, we read uh, in verse 14, Far be it from me. I think the Greek there says, God forbid. Let it never be. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The Apostle Paul said, I, I boast in, I glory in one thing. I glory in the cross. And I, that's what I, my boast is, that I can boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to think today of four or five reasons. <clears throat> we may only get through two of them, but uh, we're going to look at some of them. Reasons why we boast in the cross. And in order to do that, I want you to go to another passage of Scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 31. This is probably the lengthiest passage in which Paul talks about why he boasts in the cross. And I want to read this whole passage, 17 through 31. Actually, it goes over into chapter 2 as well, but, uh, but we'll stop with this. In fact, let, let's stand together while I read this lengthy passage about the cross. The Apostle Paul, the same one who wrote the book of Galatians, the one who wrote that I glory only in the cross, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I want to preach on every one of these verses. But, uh, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness or folly to the Gentiles but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish. By the way, that means us. Mm -hmm. Praise God. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not, even things that are nothing, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human, no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that is, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Be seated. And I almost feel like I don't need to preach. What an amazing passage of Scripture. Paul is talking about, he's writing to the Galatians, and they're also here to the Corinthians. In writing to the Galatians, he's talking about people who are, who are boasting in their personal righteousness. They're boasting in their law-keeping. They're boasting in their religious observances and somehow or another believing that those are the things that are going to make them acceptable and accepted by God. And the Apostle Paul says, no, that's not true. Circumcision doesn't amount to anything. And non-circumcision doesn't amount to anything. All that matters is what God has done for us on the cross through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, I will boast only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to just uh, take a few things here and say that, uh, number one, we boast in the cross because the cross is a constant reminder that God has predetermined to set his affection on us. You know, if we start looking at when did the cross take place, most of us would say, well, the cross happened in... Uh, about 33 A.D. Well, the physical human cross did, but I'm telling you, the cross was established in the heart and mind of God before the world was ever created, before the world was ever made. The Bible talks about the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. There are a lot of things that happened before the world ever came into existence. And one of those things is that as far back as we could possibly go in the before the beginning of time, as we call time, there was a slain lamb. The Lord Jesus Christ had already been slain before the foundation of the world in order to purchase the bride that he was dying for. It's amazing. And the Bible tells us that as many as were Called. In fact, in, uh, if we just look at Romans chapter 8, we know, of course, this is a verse that everybody quotes, but most people don't understand. But uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
Now, a lot of people read that, and they say, oh, that means that my car wreck, that was a good thing. You know, God's working that. No, it says that he's working it for good to a very specific group of people. It's to those who are called according to his purpose. And then he goes on in the next verse, which is an even more important verse, and it says, for those whom he foreknew, that is, those whom he set his affection on before time even started. That is to love before, uh, before they were ever born, before they were ever even uh, uh, thought of, before the world was ever created. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then listen to the continuing on. For those whom he foreknew, now wait, that's the one I just read it. And those whom he predestined, he called. That's, that takes us back to these verses we just read. Those he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. When did all that take place? You say, well, it's taking place in my life right now. That's true. It is working itself out in our life right now. But in God's plan for the cross, this was accomplished before the world began. Now, I know a lot of people say, Preacher, don't, don't even talk about this predestination, election kind of stuff. That just gives me a headache. Well, it may give you a headache. gives me a headache a few times, too. But I tell you, it gives me a warm heart. It may give me a, a, a headache, but it gives me a heart warming because according to the Scripture, God, before time began, had planned, prepared, and even established the cross of Jesus Christ to secure for Christ a bride. Jesus speaks of those that the Father have, has given to me. And he said in the great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he said, Father, I am praying for those who will believe because of the word, the testimony of my disciples. He said, I'm not praying for the whole world. I'm praying for those that you have given to me. Now, people say, how, how in the world can you square this with the love of God well the Bible does say that God loves the world he loves the whole world and there and his love is expressed every day in many many ways to all of us but the truth is his redeeming love is secured for a certain group of people now we we don't know who those people are. When I go out and witness to a person who's not a Christian, I share with them, God loves sinners. Jesus died for sinners. And I say, whoever will believe will be saved. I mean, it is clear, the Bible is clear, that anybody, anywhere, at any time, who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? But who are going to do that? He says it is those who are called. Those who are called. And 
there is a sense in which there's a general call that goes out to everybody in the whole world to repent and to trust in Christ. But there is an effective call. There is a call. Just like Lazarus. When Lazarus was in the tomb and Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, he said, roll the stone away. They said, oh, we can't do that. He's been dead four days. There's already a terrible smell in there. And Jesus said, you just roll the stone away. You'll see the glory of God. And he did. And then the Bible says, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Somebody said it's a good thing that he said Lazarus because if he had just said, come forth, every dead person in the county would have got up. I don't know. But he did call him by name. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. When we were in Israel several years ago, we got to go into Bethany, and they have what they claim to be anyway. I, I like to think it was because... It was the tomb of Lazarus. And we got to go in the tomb of Lazarus. And you actually have to walk down several steps to get into it. Now, we didn't see that when y'all went with us, uh, uh, Raynard. I don't think we got to go to Bethany, did we? This is the first time we went. We get <clears throat> And I got down in the tomb of Lazarus, and I just pretended that I was Lazarus. And I pretended I'm all wrapped up in grave clothes, my hands all wrapped up, my feet wrapped up, and I'm looking at the steps, and I thought, Lazarus couldn't walk up those steps. He actually had to hop, (laughs) hop up those steps to get to the door, and then when he hopped out to the door, everybody was somewhat amazed. Lazarus came forth but why did he do that how did, how did Lazarus do that say well I guess he chose to come out well he did but he couldn't choose to come out until God raised him from the dead and I want to tell you something when I was 17 years old I was just a dead sinner I was dead in trespasses and sin and Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit, through the word of God, called me. Now, according to this passage in Romans, he loved me before he ever called me. And according to this, he predetermined that he was going to shape me and form me into the image of Jesus. But then he called me. He called me out of my tomb, and I came forth. I came forth. And it wasn't just that I chose to come forth. I did choose. And when somebody says, are you saying people don't choose Jesus? Of course they choose Jesus. But Jesus himself said, you've not chosen me. I've chosen you, that you should bring forth fruit. And he said, we love him because he first loved us. So the cross, the message of the cross is that it, it, it makes clear, it demonstrates a constant reminder that God set his affection, affection on us before the cross ever took place in history. That God, from eternity past, all the way to eternity future, and by the way, that's the way we talk. We talk about time 
And we talk about how that this happened 500 years ago. This happened 100 years ago. We're looking forward to this happening next week. But in heaven, from God's eternal perspective, there is no time. Everything is immediate. Every, that's why he's called the I am. I am. And so what God determines in eternity past, he sees it as already fully accomplished in eternity future. And again, my, my daughter said to me one time, Daddy, that just makes my head hurt. I, and listen, there's a whole lot of stuff about God that will make your head hurt because we're not going to figure him out. We're not going to uh, be able to shrink all the mystery and glory of God down into something that will fit in my little thimble brain. But, appreciate that amen. And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, but, uh, but here's the thing about it. The doctrine of the predetermination of God, the election of God, the calling of God, the justification by God, and the glorification of God, those are not designed for evangelism. We don't go out and share those kind of truths to witness to people. The message we preach, Paul says, is the cross. We preach the cross. But we know in our hearts that the message of the cross is the message of God's redemptive plan and purpose being fulfilled throughout time in order that there might be a glorified bride for Jesus in the eons to come in eternity future and uh, again I don't I don't have to understand it all but I do know this that when I share the gospel with somebody and they do come to Christ I do not grab their hand and shake their hand and say glory be to you you did a good job and I don't pat myself on the back and say wow what an evangelist no, I feel like falling on my knees and saying, glory to God. All praise to you, for you just raised a dead person to life. And you determined to do it before I got here today. And you determined to do it and keep him now for yourself for all of eternity. And the doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination, the doctrine of the sovereign grace of God is greater than we can understand. But it is intended for doxology, not evangelism. The Apostle Paul dealt with this in Romans 9, 10, and 11. He wrestled with it, and he tried to explain it. He tried to help us understand it, and he knew he wasn't succeeding. So he concludes Romans 11 with verse 33 through 36, and this is where I rush to whenever people ask me to help them completely understand the sovereign grace of God. He says in verse 33 of Romans chapter 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. 
how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Who told God how to do things? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And then verse 36. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is what the cross does. The cross drives me back, 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 back. Isaiah 53 and places like that, Psalm 22, that describes for us the sovereign, glorious, marvelous grace of an all-wise God who purposes from before the beginning of time that there will be a people of God and those whom he foreknew that is, for love, set his affection on those he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. How many of those? Those. All those. And those whom he justified, he glorified. You say, well, wait a minute, I'm not glorified yet. From heaven's perspective, you're already seated with Christ in heavenly places, fully glorified. All of that accomplished by the glorious, marvelous cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was on the cross that he accomplished that which God purposed, planned, and fulfilled from before the foundation of the world. So the cross also demonstrates God's past substitution for you and for me. When Jesus died on the cross, he was dying there in fulfillment of all the types in the Old Testament. Every lamb that was slain, every Passover lamb that was slain, every sacrifice that was ever made as a substitute for sinners, they were all pointing forward. They were all saying, this doesn't take away sin. This sacrifice only pushes it forward. It pushes it forward. But someday, someday there will be one who will be a perfect substitute. And he will take away the sin. And it's no accident when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to be baptized... He said to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus died on the cross, here's the marvelous thing. The Bible says God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God which was in Christ. Isn't that marvelous? That God took all my sin and he put it on Jesus. I'm the one who deserved to die. 
all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. I'm the one who deserved to die. But Jesus becomes my substitute. And on the cross, he took my place. I often uh, tell people as I'm sharing the gospel with them that if you could have been at the cross when Jesus died, and I have been many times, by the way, in my dreams, I, uh, a dream I so often have is I'm at the cross, and I'm there weeping usually as I see Jesus suffering on that cross. But I said, if you could have been there, and you look up into the face of Jesus, emaciated, excruciating pain, the face of Jesus, and you said, Jesus, why? Why are you letting them do this to you? You have power. You're the Son of God. You could call ten legions of angels to come and destroy this place. Why are you letting them do this to you? And I say, Jesus would look right straight into your eyes. And he would say, I'm here for you. I'm here in your place. This is your cross. But I'm taking it. And the cross demonstrates God's past substitution for sinners like us. You see, what the essence of sin is, sin is when we say, God, I'll take your place. I don't have to obey you, submit to you, bow to you. I will be like God. That was the original temptation. That's the original sin. And it is the continual sin of all people. I will take God's place. But grace is when God says, I will take your place. Yes, you've taken my place, but I will take your place. And then thirdly, the cross makes clear the daily execution. Daily execution of you and me. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, we've looked at this in some detail earlier, but I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Dr. R.G. Lee was the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee for about 50 years. One of the most eloquent preachers. He was a silver-tongued orator. He, could, he preached his sermon payday someday over a thousand times. You go on the line sometime and listen to it you'll be blessed by it but when he was a young man he went to Israel back in the 40s I think it was 50s maybe and they took him out to Calvary and the guide said as he was describing the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus he said uh, have any of you ever been here before Dr. Lee held up his hand. He said, yes, I've been here. He said, well, I understood this was a group of people that this was your first trip to Israel. He said, it is my first trip to Israel. But he said, I've been here before. He said, 1,900 years ago, I was here. And I was nailed to that cross with my Savior. 
I was there when he was there. And friend, one of the great truths of the Christian life is that we, I, am executed. And that's why I can say I will rejoice and boast in the cross of Christ because I have been crucified with him. And by that cross, this world is dead to me and I'm dead to it. The cross accomplishes so much for us. So the cross makes clear our daily execution, not just his execution, but our crucifixion with him and resurrection with him. It also assures our constant communion with Christ. The last part, I think verse 30 of uh, 1 Corinthians 1 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. Don't let that escape you. We are in Christ. That means we have constant communion, fellowship with him. And that is all because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just say, finally, the fifth thing is that it guarantees our future glorification. Christ, who died for us and began a good work in us, will complete it. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Took away all our sin, made us right before God. He is our righteousness. And those whom he justified, he glorified. He doesn't start a work and then change his mind halfway through. That which he begins, he completes. He is the one who knows the end from the beginning. And I'm just saying to you today, because of the cross, this is all true for us. Now, he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that to some people, that's foolishness. They look at it and they say, well, that's the most ridiculous thing ever. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block. They thought... You don't put the term Messiah and dying on a cross together. That's, that, that can't be. That's, that's, a, that's, something I, that's a scandal. I'll trip over that. And to the Greeks who love wisdom, they say this doesn't look like wisdom. But to those of us who are called, it's the power of God. To those of us who trust him and look at him and see him through eyes that he has opened, we see not a tragedy, not a travesty, we see glory. And the Apostle Paul says, God forbid that I should glory in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which I 
am crucified to this world, and this world is crucified to me. So it's no wonder that throughout Christian history, we've sung thousands of songs about the cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, it was there by faith I received my sight. Now I'm happy all the day. So many songs about the cross. And that's strange, isn't it? We have here a cross, decorative cross on our stage. Many of you may have a cross around your neck. Any of you got a pendant or a cross necklace on today? No? Well, some do. Yeah, a lot of people do. There we go. And, uh, and that's fine. That's great because it is a symbol of all these things I've talked about. But I'll tell you, in the first century, the cross was not a piece of jewelry. The cross was not a decorative ornament behind a baptistry. The cross was not a symbol upon the spire of a church. The cross was an obnoxious, odious, despised concept. And to glory in the cross. It'd be like today saying, I, I glory in the gas chamber. Oh, I rejoice in the electric chair. And I've got a little electric chair hanging around my neck. No. But the cross was that place of execution, torture. And it was on that cross the sin of all the people that Jesus was dying to save was poured. And there's no doubt he suffered immensely physically. When I saw the passion of the Christ, I almost had to get up and leave a time or two as these actors were enacting torture of the cross I wept as I watched it but then I realized that the physical suffering that Jesus endured on that cross was very mild in comparison to the spiritual suffering because he who had never known sin suddenly became all sin He who had known only perfect, intimate fellowship with his Father for all eternity now was separated. And the wrath of God that will be expressed in the torments of hell forever and ever for unrepentant sinners, all the wrath of God was burning on Jesus. 
for those six hours while he was on the cross. And for that reason, I would say with the Apostle Paul, I glory in the cross. I exult in the cross. I boast in the cross. I rejoice in the cross. Dottie Rambo wrote a song called I Will Glory in the Cross. And she said, I will weep no more for the pain that he bore, but I will glory in the cross. When you leave here today, I pray that you will leave glorying in the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the cross of Jesus. That cross that settled all of my sin debt. That cross that expressed your eternal love for me. That cross that allows me day by day to die to self and to this world. That cross upon which the blessed, precious Son of God willingly and even joyfully, according to your word, laid down his life so that I might have life and have it eternally. And I pray that if there's anyone here today who has not come to the cross of Jesus, that you will call them. They will hear that call, and they will come in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.